So thinking about the women we've heard about on the show today, it seems like something that all their marriages have in common is that they're covered in the tabloids and such, but they have a real political impact as well. So the dollar princesses in particular got me thinking about how marrying well also had a political impact for families here in the U.S. You know, a wife like Jenny Jerome or Mary Leiter could bring money to the table that her husband could use to run a political campaign, and she could also bring political connections and her own political savvy, even if women couldn't participate in in politics directly. So, Brian, Joanne, do you think these kinds of political marriages have happened in American history? Um, Well, you know, I mean, I think if what we're talking about is, in one way or another, um, I don't know if I want to call it a fair trade, but certainly a trade of sorts in which two people come to a relationship and each bring something. Um, If you go further back in time, to the founding period, for example, there are women, I think, who bring a lot to marriages of influential husbands that I'm sure they came with their money attached. But more than that, they brought social skills. They brought the ability to actually be, in a sense, more effective politicians than their husbands. And I'm thinking particularly of Dolly Madison uh, and Louisa Catherine Adams, who's John Quincy Adams' wife. So you're and saying those guys cases. were political stiffs and they needed a little help. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. They were they were not the most sort of vivaciously, wonderfully social huh. human beings, and their wives were. And their wives were sort of mastered that domain, and in the case of Dolly Madison, really kind of created uh, a sense of place and purpose uh, for the capital and for the presidency. And were people aware of that, or did they, like, just attribute all those good things to the guy? I think in the case of Dolly Madison, they were very uh-huh. aware. I mean, because some people called her Queen Dolly. That's a pretty good she indication. Very clearly yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, in the case of Louisa Catherine Adams, I don't know if it was quite as blatantly obvious. Which would make it all I the would, more effective in a way. Exactly. Well, exactly. And I think in a sense, they were more of a pair. I think that they were a politicking pair mm-hmm. uh, in a different kind of a way. You know, what's really striking to me is that sounds like a great precedent that turned out not to be one. <laughs> because I, because after them, I have a hard time thinking of any woman in the White House who exerted really much of a positive influence. When we think of first ladies, we think of first ladies who are kind of held up in scorn in a way. Yeah, well, the, the woman who wished so badly to be of great help to her husband was Mary Todd Lincoln. And he married her in part because he thought that she would be helpful politically. Uh, not only did she come from a prominent family, and not only did she have social skills that he lacked, but she was also ambitious in a way that he wasn't always ambitious. But unfortunately, those things didn't really work out in the cauldron of Why Civil not? War Washington. Well, People were not really impressed with her finery and with her uh, insistence that during wartime that she needed to have all those dresses. I see. And this is kind of scandalous that she had to have dozens of pairs of gloves. Uh, that was a major scandal <laughs> that people were just appalled that she was so, you know, pretentious in a time when so many people were suffering. And so she ended up being a great political liability to huh. Lincoln for exactly the opposite of reason that he had hoped. That sounds like it's a, a wartime problem as opposed to a Mary Todd Lincoln problem. We'll never that, know, Joanne, that uh, since that's <laughs> the only time that they served. But, you know, but it, it very well could have been. It could have been that in a, a time of gaiety and prosperity that that would have been just what this stiff Abraham Lincoln guy needed. So that reminds mm-hmm. us that a lot of this is context. 
Unfortunately, apparently there's decade after decade of context in which that doesn't work, called the Gilded Age, at the very same time that these dollar princesses yeah. that Brian was talking about yeah. are flourishing, you don't have women who are prominent in the White House, except for the somewhat icky instance of Frances Cleveland, who marries in the White House when she's 21, who had been the ward of Grover Cleveland, her new husband, throughout her life. Um, and even though he's 48 and she's 21, she does have some of the skills you're talking about, Joanne, that Dolly Madison has. She's vivacious. She sort of makes the White House a place to be. But other than that, the 19th century is kind of a smoking crater when it comes to influential <laughs> women in the White House. Yeah, and I, I would say that when you get to Lady Bird Johnson, she was the key to financing Lyndon Johnson's early political career. Uh, She had come in to some wealth, certainly a lot more wealth than Lyndon Johnson, and her financing and her advice and partnership in Lyndon Johnson's early political career before they had kids was really crucial to the success of both of them, perhaps that kind of pair initially. So, I mean, essentially, it feels to me that what we've been saying here is we're, we're talking about a number of different um, things that women are bringing to these marriages, and sometimes it's social skills, and sometimes it's money, and sometimes it's a political agenda. Uh, sometimes there's a partnership. Sometimes it, re- it really is men looking for a woman to give them whatever it is that they need for their political purposes. But I, I kind of feel like I want to put in a word for amorphousness and ambiguity, because the fact of the matter is we're talking about exchanges, but in at least some of these cases, there's also sincere emotion involved too, right? So we're talking about something that's practical, but that's also tied up with emotion and hopefully in some cases, love. And that's that's part of this <laughs> too, sorry. right? That's we, part of the we mix. Don't, we're not allowed to discuss that on We don't show. do love. <laughs> oh, but I'm a woman, so uh, exactly. I can say love. <laughs> Bingo. Well, I think it's one of the yeah. things that made the Obamas so effective is that their mutual devotion was so obvious, but so was mm-hmm. her chops, and so was his right. respect for her chops, proudly independent people who were also devoted to each other. Professionals. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it may be that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are sort of in the Obama mold, mm-hmm. that they're both coming into it with their own distinct personalities, their own distinct trajectories and credibility but are devoted to a common purpose. The difference is you don't actually become royal in America, uh, (laughs) but you do become forever the former president and the former first lady. 